All right, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 8. I will read verses 8 through 17. We'll be studying this morning the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. Romans 1, beginning in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May the Lord add his blessing. Please be seated. If you look back at Romans 1, beginning in verse 1, we see Paul began this letter by saying these words, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, as Christians, we know that we have been set apart by the Lord, and we have been set apart for the Lord, that we belong to Christ, and that we are also his slaves. The Lord has purchased us by the blood of his Son, called us to himself, and now as Paul says, We are slaves of Christ Jesus. As slaves of Christ, we are to be about about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So Paul's opening words to the church in Rome are clear concerning the gospel and what our life as his children is to be about. That the gospel of God is God's gospel. The gospel of God is the gospel of his Son. The gospel of God is about his name. The gospel of God is about faith in the Son of God. The Son of God being Jesus Christ. Paul is instructing this church that is strong in faith to always remain focused upon true righteousness, which is righteousness found in Jesus Christ. In verse 8 of chapter 1, we see Paul's great love for these people whom he has never met. Paul has heard of their faith in Christ. Paul has been praying for them. He has longed to be with them if it is the Lord's will. That is one thing that has truly gotten to me. That not only am I called to love those Christians in which the Lord has brought into this church, I have the privilege of walking with and knowing with, but we have Paul here saying, I long to be with you because I know the faith that you have in Christ. I want to be with you. I want to encourage you. I want to be encouraged by you. That he longed to be with them if it was the Lord's will. He longed to be strengthened and encouraged by them. 
It says he desired to reap a harvest among them. He desired growth in the Lord's church, spiritual fruit, personal holiness, as well as numerical growth. Paul declared that he was under obligation, meaning that Paul is a debtor. He's a debtor to Greeks. He's a debtor to barbarians. He's a debtor to the wise. And he's a debtor to those who are foolish. He's a debtor to everyone. Owing them the gospel. Why was this? Because Paul was God's chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, to the kings, and the children of Israel. This was Paul's calling, and Paul loved his calling. He said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So first, God loved Paul and called him. Paul then loved the Lord, and because he loved the Lord, he embraced his calling with his life. It says Paul was eager. He was ready and willing to preach the gospel to the church in Rome as well as to all who were in Rome. Many people are ready. Many people are just not willing. For the apostle Paul, his life and his preaching was about setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel. What an amazing statement. This was what his life was about, preaching setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel. His preaching was not about self. His preaching was not about self-help. It was not about motivation so that you would do the right thing. His preaching was about setting forth the righteousness of God in the gospel. That the gospel that saved Paul, and Paul was set apart for the gospel that saved him. He loved proclaiming this gospel, and in today's verses, he articulates and elaborates upon the greatness of the gospel of God. Look at verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the gospel saved Paul. The gospel set Paul apart, and Paul was set apart for the gospel. And this is true of every Christian to everyone who is called. Romans 1 verse 7, Paul said, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. So Paul is saying, not all are called, but if you are called, let me tell you about the never-ending goodness of the gospel and what it does to us as his children. John Calvin put it this way, the gospel is indeed offered to all for their salvation, but the power of it appears not everywhere. That Paul wants the Lord's children to know the greatness of the gospel and he desires that the lost be saved through the reading of this letter. Verse 16, Paul begins by telling them, basically, let me tell you the why that I am so eager to preach the gospel to you. Let me tell you about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So verse 16 serves as Paul's main theme of this letter. Verse 16 is the main theme. Verse 17 is the general exposition or explanation of his main theme. So these two verses are of great importance. These two verses are what Paul will argue about and defend for the rest of this letter to the church in Rome. As a slave of Christ Jesus, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, and he was eager to preach it. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, for his confidence, his pride, they were in the gospel. 
In other words, Paul gloried in it. These words, I am not ashamed, show that Paul was so very proud of the gospel that in his eyes, the gospel was of the greatest value. The gospel was supreme, and he gloried in it. That means he delighted in it. He looked forward to thinking about it, talking about it, speaking about it. That Paul was not ashamed or embarrassed by the gospel of God, and this is why he was so eager to preach it. But let us also remember that Paul was not perfect. He was just like us. He was sinful. He was a creature who became ashamed of things that he had done. Paul struggled with sin after salvation, just like we do. We have been ashamed of our language. We have been ashamed of our harshness, our tone with people. We've been ashamed of our attitude, our lack of love for the Lord, our pride. We have been ashamed of our many, many sins. We have felt the weight of our struggles, and we have run to Christ in repentance, seeking comfort and healing. Paul was no different. If you hold your spot in Romans 1 and turn to Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks of this. In Romans 7, beginning in verse 15, Paul uses some words that I often go to. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is the apostle. Now, if I do not do Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Because he's saying, If there is something good that dwells in me, it's Christ and Christ alone. He says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You picture evil crouching at its door, ready to pounce. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." This is why he goes on to say in Romans chapter 12 that we must be individuals who are transformed by God's word, not conformed to this world, but transformed by the spending time in the word. The fact that Paul the apostle was ashamed of the sin of doing what he did not want to do, declaring wretched man that I am. Times of confession, that's what exactly that is. Father, I am wretched. You are holy. God, please forgive me of these sins because I have failed to keep what you have told me to keep. And Paul's answer was Christ. Paul's answer was Christ not just for his shame. Paul's answer was Christ for his comfort. But in here in Romans 1, 
Paul declared one thing that he does not have shame about, and he is saying that I am not ashamed of the gospel. His confidence and pride were in the gospel. He was bold with the gospel in this life. And so we have questions that we need to honestly come into and think about, asking yourself, is my confidence and pride in the gospel? Do I glory in the gospel? And if not, who or what is your confidence in? Because in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, many place confidence and pride and boldness in self. Many people did things to be seen by others. Many people did things so that they themselves will receive the glory, and they did those things in the name of Christ. This is true today as well. Many love the self-help sermons. Many people say, I just want living points for my life. Leave the theology aside. Just give me points in which I can apply to my life so I can get on with my life, which results in no spiritual fruit because it's not for the Lord. To not be ashamed of the gospel is to love the gospel and to rest in it. I'll never forget, it was my second year of being the youth pastor at First Baptist Church Keller. I was working with another pastor, Tony Richmond, and um, we had about six seniors in high school come up to us and kind of surround us at the end of Wednesday night. And they had really thought about this for a long time, and, and uh, they come and they said, hey, uh, Casey and Tony, one of them speaks up, and he says, you tell us every week about the glories of the gospel. <laughs> at that point, I want to say, Amen. And then the students leaned forward and they basically said, can you go on to something else? We got it. And so we began to ask the students some questions. That's great that you, you got the gospel. Tell me about your walk with the Lord right now. I mean, you got it, right? Like, tell me about your walk with the Lord. Tell me about your prayer life. Because the gospel leads to your prayer life, right? Tell me about who you're sharing the gospel with because you have lost individuals that are in your classroom that you sit next to. The gospel is not just something that we hear about and we can articulate very well. The gospel is something that we preach to our own hearts in which in turn, when we're preaching it to our own hearts, it's something that is to be lived out in everyday life in which something we speak about, that we talk about. The gospel changes everything because grace changes everything. And it continues to change everything because we're being more conformed into the image of Christ. I cannot come before you as a student pastor and tell you that I'm going to get over the gospel and I'm going to stop talking about it. If that is the case, I must step down and not do anything at all with the church. But the same is true for us. We come in here, we need to hear the gospel because we need to live a life that pleases the Lord, that to glorify the Lord, I preach to give God the glory. Paul's confidence, Paul's pride, it was in the gospel. 
He did not place his confidence and pride in himself. You see, to not be ashamed of the gospel is to love the gospel, to rest it in, to think upon it, to share it. It is the overflow of what the Lord is doing in our hearts because we are focused upon the good news of Jesus Christ. To not be ashamed of the gospel is to be willing to proclaim it even if you are shamed for it. Like, think about this. If you think about the glory of God and who God is, what can man do to you? It's of very little significance. Because you know who you belong to. You know what Christ has already done. You know what Christ is doing right now. And you know what Christ will do. What can man do to you? Paul thought this way. 2 Corinthians 11 Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So five times Paul the Apostle was whipped and beaten with one lash basically less than leading to his death. Five times. Not one time and then he wrote a book about it and informed everybody how great he was. Five times he did this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And by the way, after he was stoned, he slept and he went right back into the city and kept doing what he was doing. He says, three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day and I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. What do you see here that is of great comfort? Nothing but the gospel. He says, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger he was in thirst Often he didn't have any food. He was in cold. He was with exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. How good it is to hear that the Apostle Paul had anxiety for the churches because I have the same anxiety often. It says, We are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. And not being ashamed, this world will shame us. If we are like the world, what will they have to say to us except we love you and we're thankful for you? But if we stand on the glorious truth of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the world will shame us. Now let me be clear, the majority of those in the United States will not shame you because you believe the gospel. It's okay if you believe it. However, the majority will shame you if you declare that the gospel is absolute truth, and if one doesn't believe it, they are hopeless without a Savior. When we declare that one is born a sinner, when we declare that there are no good people, if we say to someone, without the righteousness of Christ, you are not in good standing with the Lord, that you are guilty in your sin, without salvation, we will be shamed. But we must not be scared to share the good news in love with great boldness because when we are preaching the good news to sinners, this is how the Lord saves sinners. The world believes the gospel to be foolishness, but we are to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ and proclaim it. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. 
Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. If we are ashamed of Christ, if we are ashamed of the gospel, Christ says, I will be ashamed of you. Paul's words to young Timothy better help us understand what it is to not be ashamed. If you will, hold your spot in Romans and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul is nearing his death, and he knows it. And he's writing to young Timothy to encourage him. He says, 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. We've heard this in Romans, haven't we? He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. That I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. I imagine the apostle is thinking about his own death that is coming, and he longs to see Timothy, his brother. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he is, he is making it clear. He is making it unmistakable that if you are not ashamed of the gospel, that you are going to suffer. So he says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now he has been manifested through this appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolishes abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. In other words, Paul is approaching his death and he is saying, you know what I stand for. You know what I've been preaching. You know that I've been talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that this is what God's gospel is. Now, you have heard my words. Now, look at my life and see how my life matches my words. You do the same, Timothy. Says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
So the gospel is not something that God's children are ashamed about. The church must remember that to not be ashamed of the gospel is to remember that the gospel is offensive and the world will shame us. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul made this clear. For the word of cross is folly. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, they demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. Jews find the gospel a stumbling block, and Gentiles find it foolishness. Jews, they wanted signs, they still do today, and could not accept a crucified Savior. My Savior won't be crucified. While the Gentiles, they want proof, and they still want proof today through their own human wisdom, the wisdom of their modern age. But we who have been called... We are to have great confidence, great pride, and great boldness in the good news of Jesus Christ because the good news of Christ is to consume us. As saints, as Scripture says, the cross for us is the power of God. In verse 16, he says of our main text, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we're not to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel of God is God's gospel. It is the gospel of His Son. It's the gospel that is about the name of Christ. The gospel of God is about faith in Christ. And the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. So the Greek word here for Greek word here for power is the Greek word dunamis. This is where we get our English word dynamite. So the gospel of God is the power to save sinners. So what Paul has been declaring in this greeting to this church in Rome, what Paul continues to elaborate on and to unfold, the theme that is found in verse 16 and the short exposition of it in verse 17 is what he continues all throughout this letter. He is talking about the power of God. And if you take away the gospel of God in which Paul is preaching, you take away power and you accept something that will not last. The gospel of God is the power of God. Therefore, the power of God, the gospel of God, it alone is life-giving. This gospel is powerful and good. It calls, it cleanses, it continues to work in the saints until he brings them all the way home. You see, the good news of Christ, who Christ is, his work, the Son of God who came to this earth, he put on flesh, he lived a perfect and sinless life, he freely laid down his life on the cross for the sins of those who would trust in him. He was crucified in our place. He satisfied God's wrath. 
rising from the third on the third day. This is the power of God that calls. This is what the Lord does to the sinner. He cleanses the sinner of his sin and he clothes them with God the Holy Spirit and he continues to sanctify this now saint until their sure and future date of glorification. You see, the gospel of God is the power of God. It calls, it cleanses, it continues and works in his saints until the Lord brings them all the way home. This is the only gospel that saves, and it saves for the one who believes, to trust in. That is what believe means. Well, how do I know if I believe in this gospel, if you trust in this gospel, if you take pride in this gospel, if you glory in this gospel, if you have faith in the gospel of God? Salvation is for those who believe God's gospel. And if you believe, you will keep on believing because God will hold you fast. So the question is, do you believe this gospel? To believe in something is to accept it as true. Whether it's a math problem or something concerning the weather that you're looking at, true belief in Jesus Christ results in eternal change, and this change brings about life change in the here and now. Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's not an opinion, that's a command. He is saying the time has come, the kingdom of God is here, Christ is here. You are commanded to repent and believe in Christ for salvation. In Romans 10, 9, we find if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. So it's not just a confession of lip service before the Lord and before others. It's something that you actually believe in your heart. It's made that connection from I understand it here, and it's made it down to here. This is what I'm banking on. I'm banking on Christ alone. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made right before the Lord. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And this is true for Gentile or Jew. So turn from your sins, turn from your self-reliance. You cannot save yourself, you will not save yourself. Believe upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and be saved. Believe upon Christ, confess Christ as Lord, call upon Christ, and you will be saved. Trust Him, as we already sang about. He is the sure and steady anchor for your soul. Christians, we are not hoping that Christ will return. We know Christ will return. We know all that Christ is doing. We know that all of His promises are yes and amen. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God came first for his chosen people, the Jews, and the Greeks as well. That is any non-Jew. The Lord has a special love for his bride, and he came to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the twelve, and he told those twelve, Go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. John 1 helps us understand. It says, he came to his own, 
referring to Jesus. Jesus came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, there's that word believe again, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, it's all about the Lord. It's all about what the Lord does. What, what role does man play in this? Nothing. It's the will of God. Jesus came for the Jew first, but the Gentiles were always part of God's plan. This gospel, the gospel that calls, the gospel that cleanses, the gospel that continues to work, is a gospel that saved Paul. And it is the gospel that he is eager to preach to those who are in Rome. You know, thinking about this, those of us who have been changed by something, who have received something, we're eager to talk about it. Whether it's surviving a car wreck, whether it's a Christmas gift that we received, whether it's, it's something that someone has done for us that has just blessed us in so many ways. But if we have received the greatest news in all the world that has changed our eternal state, the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. Who are we if we don't speak about it? The power of the gospel delivers from sin. That's what we're talking about. Going on to verse 17, for in it, this is his brief explanation of his theme, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For in God's gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. No other gospel does this. So if we don't preach the one true gospel that is given in the word of God, that means whatever we are preaching, whatever we are talking about, whatever we are saying, maybe you even shared your salvation story. That's wonderful, but it's not the gospel of God. God's right, holy, and just character is his righteousness. And God's righteousness includes his actions and his judgments. For in God's gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God Everyone that we are around, whether we are a saint or whether we are still classified as a sinner without salvation, we need to hear of God's goodness and God's holiness because when we hear of that, when the gospel is completely made clear to us, we will see the righteousness of God, but we will also see our sin. The righteousness that is revealed is not our righteousness. That's not what Paul is saying. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As Martin Luther declared, this is an alien righteousness. It is not our own. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It was this very verse, verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, that Luther began to stop and to meditate and to think about for weeks, and it saved him. This verse caused this Roman Catholic monk to stand against the Roman Catholic Church and declare it is not our own righteousness that saves, it is not by works that is saves, it is by faith alone. And in declaring faith alone, he was not ashamed and he revolted against the church because he refused to go against what the Lord had written in his word. The word of God saved Luther. And it used him and many others to bring about the Protestant Reformation, something in which we are still reaping the benefits of today. 
But this verse has revealed to many that faith is not a work. Faith is a gift, a gift of God. And how does this gift come about? Through the preaching of God's gospel. Verse 17, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So God's gospel reveals God's righteousness, and it does so from start to finish. Meaning as as brothers and sisters in Christ, the gospel is never anything that we get over. So if you have students that come around you and they're circling, they're like, hey, we've heard the gospel numerous times. We've heard it numerous times. Can you move on to something else? No, you don't get it. It's something that we never get over. The new birth, the Christian life, it is all of faith from start to finish. It is something that God does through his revealed righteousness. Douglas Moo summed it up this way. He says the entire process by which God acts to put people into this saving relationship. It is the act of God, the act of being called, the act of being justified, the act that continues to sanctify it in one day in which will glorify us. We are justified or made right with God by faith from start to finish. Galatians 3 is clear. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For as written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So we are made right with God by faith from start to finish. It is what is known as faith alone. So Paul is concerning himself in chapter 1 with the clarity of the gospel, specifically justification. But this faith will endure, and it will, what we are known to remember by, is there is a perseverance of the saints, because what God starts, he also finishes by the faith that he gives to his children. That means that as we, as the church, stand on the word of God We do not say that a profession of faith is enough. We do not say that a prayer of salvation is enough. We don't come before and say that we once had a person pray this prayer and we tell them that they are good to go. And we don't do that because it's not what the Bible teaches. If someone has a profession of faith, that is great. If someone prays something in order to talk to the Lord about the good news of Christ and their conviction over sin, that is absolutely wonderful. But the person who is living a life full of self, a person who is living their life full of sin, ignoring the good commands of God, and at the end of their days, they point to a one-time event and say, this is when I was saved. We as a church, we as God's people, we stand upon the word of God and said, the faith that God gave you is a faith that will sustain you, will draw you back, a faith that will save you for all the things that you go through, but you will live a fruitful life because that's what faith does. 
Those who are truly righteous have received faith through God's grace, and they will have a pattern of living by faith for the glory of God. Absolutely, that pattern will get interrupted from time to time. Absolutely, we will be as Paul, who Paul said, the very things I don't want to do because I know what I don't want to do, I do, wretched man that I am. But the Holy Spirit's going to bring out those children who are living in that time of wretchedness, draw them back to himself, and they can confess their sins, rely upon the righteousness of Christ, and march forward for his glory. You see, when God imputes righteousness, this individual is also empowered to live for him. The Holy Spirit who comes upon them and clothes the person, the Holy Spirit never uncloses them. They were always clothed with the Holy Spirit. It's going to give them gifts and the power to do what is right for the sake of the Lord. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul was quoting this from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So by faith alone is one justified. So God's righteousness comes from faith. It does not come from works. This was understood in the Old Testament. It was made even more extremely clear. The lights have been turned on in the New Testament. Faith in the Messiah, faith in the promised Savior of the world, faith for every tribe, tongue, language, and people, faith in Christ alone saves. This is the righteousness from God. This is the righteousness that Paul is speaking about to the church in Rome. I want to close by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul, in writing this letter, he was not only eager to preach the gospel to the church in Rome, it says he was also eager to preach the gospel to all who were in Rome. And no matter this letter being read to the church in Rome or being read to those outside of the church, he knew that through the proclamation of God's holy word, through the proclamation of true righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ, that the lost would be found. That without the righteousness of Jesus, no one is going to inherit the kingdom of God. And this is why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. His confidence and his pride, they were not in himself. Because believe me, Paul had much that he could boast about. Much of his life, who he was, the celebrity that he was, what he had received 
who he was in his history, but the Lord was using all that for Paul not to speak about any of that, but for Paul to speak about Christ and the fact that he would suffer greatly in carrying that name to the world. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He was proud of the gospel. He gloried in it. Is this true of you? Are you confident in the good news of Christ? Are you confident of your own salvation? If you were standing at the gate after your physical death and they ask you, why in the world should I let you in? If you say anything to the degree of, I did this, you don't glory in the gospel. If you think you're going to stand before the Lord and talk about what you have done, you've missed it all. It's not about what you have done. It's about what Christ has done. I belong to him. It's your pride in the great work of Christ. Do you find pleasure, personal pleasure, in thinking upon what Christ has done, what he is doing? Are you bold with it? Or do you back down from it? The words of Daniel Dornai are worth thinking about when God's word informs us that we as his children are his slaves, which is what Paul began with. He said, we say I need balance in my life. But when we say that I need balance, that often means I want several masters. We don't need balance. We need the godly radicalism to call ourselves God's slaves. And that's what Paul had gotten to in his life. He had gotten to the point where he is saying, I know why I'm here. I know whose I am. I know who I belong to. I know why I'm living. I know what I'm preaching. And it's all about the righteousness of Christ. We don't need balance in our life because oftentimes when we say balance, that means we know that we have several masters. We'll just make the master Jesus look a little bit better than everything else. Christ and the gospel is to be something that we glory in. It is to be bold in our thinking, in our reading, in our writing, in our prayers, in all that we do. Is your confidence in the gospel? If your confidence is not in the gospel, you are ashamed of the gospel. There is no middle ground. If your confidence is not in the gospel, you are ashamed of the gospel. You are still dead in your sin, even though you are living and breathing without salvation. You are dead in your sin, which means God's wrath is still abiding upon you. I encourage you to lay down your filthy rags that God calls self-pride. Lay down your works that do not justify, that will not justify. You will never be good enough. Turn from your sins and turn towards Christ, have faith in Christ, believe in Christ, and you will be saved. Call on Christ today. You see, the good news of Jesus is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is your only hope. This is why you must believe. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul believed it. His life proved it. He was not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the power of God for salvation existed. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his words that he was 
able to declare to this church in Rome. Thank you for the reminder that Paul is not God, that Paul is a sinner just like us, that he did the things that he did not want to do and he even declared, wretched man that I am. Father, we are wretched as well. We have allowed sin that clings so closely to remain there. There are things in which we have failed to cast aside. We know exactly why we don't think about the gospel that much. We don't talk about the gospel that much. We love other things way more than you. But Lord, looking at it from the other side, we never loved you first. You loved us first. You saved us, your enemies, and brought us into a right standing, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it. You cleansed us off. You brought us into your family. You gave us a righteousness that will stand the test of time. A righteousness that is not our own, but an alien righteousness that is found in your son, Jesus You have done everything. You continue to be patient with us as as we do things that we want to do. We continue to stray and go back to our old ways of doing what is right in our own eyes, ignoring your good commands. Father, help us as your children to, to be reminded of a glorious gospel for what it is. Help us to focus upon it. For it to be of greater value than anything in all the world, above all the gifts that you give, Lord, may we love the one who gives it all. That's you. Father, draw the lost to yourself. There is nothing I can say to do that. There is nothing that anyone else could say. Lord, convict of sin and draw the lost to you. And when people start talking, Father, may we speak of the righteousness of Christ that is found in your gospel. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.